Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. Book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13 tonight. And we'll begin looking here at some of these verses that we find. And we'll look farther tonight at the modern tongue movement, and we will conclude, Lord willing, this message tonight, our study on this subject. We noticed this morning, read scripture, that in the book of Acts, chapter 2, is where the tongue movement, uh, where the uh, tongues were given, and they were real gifts given of the Holy Spirit to the early church there at Jerusalem. The early church had many gifts. Uh, the disciples, members of that church, were able to raise the dead, heal all manner of uh, sickness. Uh, the man that was, uh, was uh, lame at the uh, beautiful gate, they said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto you. Arise, walk, and he did. We have that throughout the book of Acts. But then, somewhere along the line, soon after that, after uh, the apostle John penned the book of Revelation, and he closed the thing, those special gifts, those special miracles that they were able to perform ceased. And from history, and I'll read you an excerpt from uh, something here, uh, from history, they seem to have ceased soon after the death of the apostles. In fact, is, I believe that they ceased with the death of the apostles. People today are looking for some uh, phenomena something special that they might be able to get more than just what's in the revelation here from God, and they are the ones who are gullible and fall for the tongue movement. Without exception, there are people that are not based and grounded in the Word of God. I can make that statement without reservation. The ones that grab this thing up are not Bible scholars. The preachers that preach and teach that it's all right to do this and to speak in tongues, they have not studied this thing. And they're just looking for something special so they can tell somebody about it. And you've probably heard it on radio, too. Uh, people get all carried away, and it gets in a, an emotional upheaval. And then, supposedly, uh, people are speaking tongues. Let me say this. This modern-day tongue movement is no language whatsoever. And the early, in the early days of the apostles, they had a language. It was languages of all the people that were gathered, listed in the book of Acts, chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians 14, we find then that the church at Corinth abused that gift, and they abused that just like they abused the Lord's Supper. And that's mentioned about chapters 10 and 11. Along about chapter 14, Paul begins to chide them for what they had done, and he gave some things. He says, all right, if you're going to speak in an unknown tongue, in a foreign language, in your sermon. By the way, that's what he was talking about. Now, he wasn't talking about this bunch of gibberish that you hear about today. He was talking about a known language. He said, all right, if you insist on speaking in a, in a language, in an unknown tongue, then make sure there's somebody there who can tell the people what you're saying. And again, it was within the bounds of languages of the world. It was not a heavenly language. Why should we have to have a heavenly language to communicate with God? God knows all languages. He has no language barrier. He can understand French, German, English, uh, Spanish, anything else. He has no problem there. So if we're going to communicate to the Lord, why not communicate to the Lord in the language that we know and we know what we're talking about? There are people today that says, well, I get all carried away in the Spirit. I don't know what I say. Man, I have enough trouble keeping up with what I say when I do know what I'm doing. 
the long speaking when I don't know what I'm saying. You try that sometime, you'll find that just doesn't go too far. You better know what you're talking about. When I talk to my Lord, it's no foolishness about that thing. I'm serious about it, and I talk to him in the language, and, I, and he knows my shortcomings, and I'd certainly be far-fetched. Well, you may be cursing God and not know it if you spoke to him in a language you didn't know anything about. And so we need to be very careful about that. And people says, well, we can speak to God. And in private devotions, in particular, this has invaded the Roman Catholic Church. Dead churches, dead in their orthodoxy, dead in the things that they believe. They're looking for anything just to latch a hold of and go with. And so they've come up with this. This is the thing going today. And it's catching on. You will hear more about the tongue movement in time to come. Uh, you can rest assured of that. Now, I want to mention again, so you'll be sure to remember this. The gift of tongues was for two purposes when it was given. The first purpose for the gift of tongues was to effectually evangelize those who had gathered. That was the express purpose of the giving of tongues. No one that I know anything about today you try to even imagine using tongues to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard enough to win people to the Lord. You knowing what you're talking about and they knowing what you're talking about, let alone using some gibberish that nobody knows what they're talking about. So the, tongue, the tongues that were given was for the express purpose of evangelizing those who had gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Secondly, it was given to accredit or confirm the word. What better way could the Holy Spirit give to let the world take note that Jesus had been in the world than to on the day of Pentecost let these people speak to everybody in their own language and you'll read there and you read in the context it seems that the people began to gather when they heard about it. Somebody said, hey, do you know what? These men are speaking over here in languages. They're speaking all the languages. Whoever goes over there knows exactly what they're talking about. Come on over here. Let's go hear that. And they did. That fellow going over, he speaks Spanish. He got to listen. He said, well, lo and behold, uh, that, he's speaking Spanish. I can understand every word. And what's he telling me about? Is he just gibbering and carrying on? No. He was telling about how that Jesus of Nazareth was really the Christ. How that he died and was buried and rose again the third day. And you ought to believe that. If you did, if you do believe that, you ought to be baptized to show that thing. And he did that. And Peter preached that message in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And they that repented in, in Acts chapter 2 verse 41, they that gladly received his word. That's folks that got saved. They were baptized the same day 3,000 were added unto that church there at, uh, at, in the uh, city of uh, Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Now, that was a tremendous thing. The Holy Spirit used that, the modern-day tongue movement. Take the modern-day tongue movement and put it with that. What's going on? What's being accomplished? It is far-fetched from that. You can rest assured. If you'll observe it, you will see that today. Again, I want to say to you to do this. Always take your Bible. Be able to take your Bible. Whatever comes, whatever goes, don't be surprised, by the way, anything that happens. Don't be surprised. But when things come and go, you take your Bible. It says, all right, now they say so-and-so. What does God say? And take the Word of God just like those uh, tests. I don't know what they call achievement tests. I remember taking them in the Air Force. You'd take a test and they'd put a sheet over top of it. And all the right answers would come through the holes in it and the wrong answers. A lot of my answers didn't make it through, folks. Uh, but uh, uh, those right answers would come through those holes in that thing, and they could grade that thing like that. The Word of God, just like that. I've always thought of the Word of God just being like that. Take the tongue movement. Place the tongue movement over here. Put the Word of God on it and see whether or not it comes true according to this book. If it doesn't, you throw it away. Throw it away. Get rid of it. And don't believe it. 
Don't, don't let anybody con you into thinking, well, now you're going to sin against the Holy Spirit if you don't believe it. Well, now you may, you may be disobedient. You may grieve the Holy Spirit if you do believe it. So you need to search the Scriptures. You need to search the Scriptures. That's the key. Search the Word of God. You don't have to become a linguist. You don't have to come, become a Greek and Hebrew scholar. We have a wonderful translation here. Search it, and you'll know, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, you have, I'm sure, in all of this talking, you've already found 1 Corinthians 13. I ask you to turn there. I want you to look beginning with verse 8 now. This is the love chapter of the Bible. And it began in verse 8. It says charity, and that word translate charity is the word love. Love never faileth. Look at this, folks. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. It didn't mean a man would get up and prophesy and it wouldn't come to pass. But he's saying, he's using, and I mentioned this morning, prophecy is in two departments. To be able to foretell the future. And personally, I believe that's what he's talking about right here. That's prophecy in one way. Then preaching is in another way. And we have preaching today. Prophecy, whether there shall be, be prophecies, they shall fail. And they sure did. We cease to have men prophesying into the future outside of the Word of God. We don't have that today at all anymore, and we don't need it anymore because we have the Bible. You realize those New Testament Christians didn't have the New Testament? They didn't have it. God had to give it. He had to give it through these men of God. And First Peter tells us these holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, and they gave to us these things. That's why the Bible says prophecies shall fail. The genie Dixon shall fail. And all the others that come along and claim this and that and the other. They don't even fit in this category anyhow, though. They, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Look at this. Whether there, there be tongues, they shall cease. Now, we have an interesting thing here. The Bible plainly says, and it's talking specifically now, of course, about the gift of tongues. Because it goes on chapter 14 and talks about it at great length. And we looked at that this morning. Now, notice here. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Now, folks in the tongue movement today should take into consideration something. If they had the gift of tongues in Acts chapter 2, and most anybody would say they did, if they had the gift of tongues in chapter 2, and Paul writes this well after chapter 2 of the book of Acts, and he says they shall cease, it means those tongues have ceased and no one has the right to start them up again because they have ceased. Now, if you say, well, they didn't have the tongues, we're the ones really that fulfilled the prophecy of Job. We're the ones today that have the tongue. They didn't have it back there at Pentecost. You can see the problem you get into. You're arguing with a very revealed word of God. It says specifically and to the point that that was Joel's prophecy being fulfilled. And Paul says tongues shall cease. And I'm here to tell you tonight that they have. And the people that comes along and try to revise them today, they're out in ballpark left field somewhere. They're not with it at all because they have no authority to arouse that which God said it would see. Now, again, it's not God trying to do something he can't today. It's not that the Lord could not do that if he wanted to do that. It's just that he has chosen in his own wisdom not to use these special gifts today. And if he did, I can assure you some missionaries would qualify for it, and they wouldn't have to study the language. Every godly man and woman that I know that go to the mission field have to study the language and learn it. Now, look at verse uh, 8, and it says, Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish to the way. And that's all talking about these things that were happening right in his day. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. What is that which is perfect is come? I, I want to tell you tonight, it is the Bible. 
That's what is perfect that was to come. When Paul wrote that in 59 A.D., John had not even written the book of Revelation yet. The book of Revelation was written about 90 A.D., and if you have a center column reference with the dates at the top, you'll find my Bible says 96 A.D. Paul is saying simply here that when the Word of God is completed and when John gets through with it and he says nobody's to add or take anything away, then that which is perfect is come and it is the revealed Word of God. That which is in part shall be done away. What's in part? Tongues and other special gifts that were to accredit the New Testament church they have been done away with. Now, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I become a, and thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Well, that's a rebuke, isn't it? To people that claim they have this special gift, Paul is saying that was in the past, that's already gone. I've become a man now. Man in what way? And man learning the truths of the Word of God and the way God's operating today. Verse 13. Uh, verse um, 12, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now by the faith, hope, charity, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. If folks want to major on something, let them major on these three. They are the greatest. The Bible plainly says that. And now by the faith, hope, and charity, these three, and the greatest of these is charity, and you come back down to faith and hope right underneath that. Tongues is not even in that crowd. It's left that entirely. It's not the greatest. The greatest, these three, faith, hope, and love. Now you think about that. Isn't that what we really need today? Faith to believe in the unseen things of God in spite of the fact that seemingly God isn't moving in a great way today throughout the world, as it is in the book of Acts. That's faith. Hope? Why, certainly, we have this sure word of promise, this sure hope. Not a hope so hope. That's the way we use the word in English. But it is a hope that is steadfast and sure and that fadeth not away. That's what we have. And then love. Love. We have that, and that's needed today. Now, I mentioned that I believe the Bible teaches us that these special gifts cease with the apostles. I want to quote from a man now, a man by the name of Augustine. Augustine was an important church leader that lived, his dates are 354 to 430 A.D., which, which you can see he lived a long, long, long time ago. He lived about 300 years after the time of Christ. He was a very prolific writer, Augustine was, and this is what this man says in his day. Remember now, and by the way, I just checked on something out of curiosity. I've got some commentaries written in the 1600s. And in the 1600s, these men writing on these verses here had no idea at all that anybody would ever come along and say they spoke in tongues. They didn't even mention it. That's what I look for in reading their remarks. It didn't even occur to them that in the in 1960, 50, 60, and 70 that people would come along and say they had the gift of tongues. It didn't occur to these men to even think about that. They all they knew it they already ceased and that they were not given for today. Well, Augustine lived along much much earlier than Matthew Pooh, Matthew Henry, and the others, and he says this. This is a quote from one of his writings. In the earliest times, the Holy Spirit fell upon them that believed, and they spake with tongues which they had not learned. You see, that's what, I, that's what the Bible says. They didn't learn these tongues. God gave them the knowledge of them. It wasn't gibberish. It was languages. As the Spirit gave them utterance, these were signs adopted to the times. 
For there behooved to be that the tokening of the Holy Spirit in all tongues to show that the gospel of God was to run through all uh, was to run through all tongues over the whole earth. That thing was done for betokening, and notice this, and is passed away. Augustine, one of the great leaders, uh, he's not, he wouldn't be as baptistic as we'd like him to be, I know, but he was a great man, I believe. And this man said in his day and age, 354 to 430 A.D., he says, we don't have no more. And all of a sudden, around the turn of the century, around 1900, the Tong movement revived. You'd have, the people would have you to think, and me to think, that tongues have been around like the day of Pentecost. It had been Pentecost ever since. Not so at all. They haven't been around at all, but this revival has taken place in the last 70 years. Now, uh, looking on here tonight about this Tong movement, and I want us to look at some of the conclusions that I promised you this morning. The resurrection of the tongue movement in America took place about 1900. Actually, the thing got started on New Year's Eve in 1900. In 1900, a fellow in Topeka, Kansas, took a got a building uh, called Stone's Folly, and a fellow by the name of Stone had started to build a great castle-like affair and didn't get to finish it, and they called it Stone's Folly. And this fellow went in there, and I don't have all the names at my disposal. They're available in, in books and all, and that's why I didn't care to bring them and, and read all this to you. But they went in there, and they, he asked the people to gather with him that they might study and get this gift. And so they gathered, and they prayed for hours on end. And a girl, a, a young woman, she came forth after praying about all day, and she said, hey, wait a minute, we're forgetting something. She said there was a laying on of hands associated with the giving of tongues in the New Testament. And uh, she said, let's do this. She said, let's, uh, let's, and she got the minister, lay your hands on me and then perhaps it'll work out. He laid his hands on her on New Year's Day and at 7 o'clock New Year's Day on Topeka, Kansas, she blurted forth a bunch of gibberish and they said hot dogs. We've got it. That's where the tongue movement today and began and is spread across America, primarily in the Pentecostal churches. It's been there, and now this, it's no longer called that anymore. It's called the, the charismatic movement, and it has invaded the upper echelons now. They want to do away with their image. You remember when O.R. Roberts changed his image? He used to be a Pentecostal, didn't he? He changed that image. That's the old foggy stuff with him. He wants to let the hair grow a little dab long, you know, and carry on a little bit. And so he changed his image and joined the Methodist church. That's what he's done a few years ago. Now, the tongue movement then began in that way, and it spread across America just like a wildfire. About 1900, spread through the mountains of Kentucky, and it's very, very heavily indebted in there. And again, I want to say to you, where does it spread the fastest? It spread the fastest where people are not scholars of the Word of God, where they haven't tried to study and really understand what God says. That's where it spread the fastest. They began to associate the Holy Spirit with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That also began to be associated. And now today they're trying to disassociate it because they see that it's just not to be taken together like that. It, it's, it's just not to be that way. And they're trying now to sort of back off from that. And they're getting a lot of trouble on that today. The Jesus movement people are speaking in tongues today. And this glossiolia that I mentioned this morning 
It is deceptive because they say we have a 30-minute herring tour. And they get people off heroin and they get them on this tongue movement and they speak in this gibberish and they have a psychological effect. And somebody may look around and say, well, what's bad? What's so bad about that? You got them off heroin, didn't you? Well, you got them off heroin, but you got them onto a fake Jesus. People need the real truth of the Word of God. There is such a thing as another Jesus, and this other Jesus doesn't save it. That's what's sweeping America today. It's in the rock music. The, the other Jesus is the Jesus of the Jesus Christ superstar. That other Jesus is sweeping America today, and we're being overflowed. We're just being run over. And this other Jesus that you hear about today, it doesn't make any difference about how long a man's hair is or how he used to dress or how you'd act, and some of them live like animals. It has nothing to do with ethics. It just has to do with this high experience. I'll tell you, it's of the devil. That's exactly where it is. It is a fake. It is a counterfeit. And a lot of people are dying going to hell right tonight because they've swallowed the bait of that thing. We need to expose it for what it is. Now, hold on to your seats a little bit. I want to name some names. Pat Boone now speaks in tongues. Pat Boone, the man who uh, is, is quite a, a famous movie star. Personally, I think he sort of, you know, didn't get too hot in the movie star business, went in something else nearly. But nevertheless, he is one of their leaders in this new charismatic movement that's going on today, and they're not associated with Pentecostals. I noticed something else about them. He baptizes people in the swimming pool there in his home, and they also now today are coupling baptismal regeneration with this thing too. Now, this thing, this present-day business, offers a psychological attempt to recreate the first-century supernatural gifts that man has no right to do. We have the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Jesus said to go out and be witnesses unto me in all the world. And that's what we're to do today. This book that I have in my hand here, The Modern Tongue Movement, on page 46, evangelist Billy Graham was asked what he believed about the tongue movement. This is, this is the question asked to him, and this is his reply. It's documented here in this book. What is your opinion on speaking in tongues? Evangelist Billy Graham replied that he had not had the experience, but that it was a wonderful experience for those who had. Again, what does the Word of God say? I predict from this pulpit tonight, with that thought in mind, it will not be but a few years till Billy Graham also will speak in tongues. And when that happens, that thing's going to bust America wide open. And you can just forget about the doctrines of the Word of God. Throw them out. You're going to have a new Jesus sweeping America. Now, that's my prediction. I've never been uh, totally right in anything that I've predicted like that. But I'm just looking at the evidence. The evidence is accumulating. I didn't know it was accumulating so much until I felt urged of the Holy Spirit to speak on this because this tongue movement is invading Baptist churches right here in the greater Cincinnati area. This thing's not out in California. As long as stuff in California, I leave it alone, Jeremy. The boy, when it sweeps in through Cincinnati and travels down through Sailor Park and Addison and heads down through Cleves, I said, hold on a minute. And we preach on it and look and see what God says about the whole thing. That's what we're doing here tonight. The tongues, is it of God or is it of Satan? 1 John 4, 1, I read that this morning. I do want to read that one again. The Bible says, 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. All right, try the spirit. Satan's prime target is churches where the gospel is being proclaimed to the unsaved, and if he can get the tongue movement, well entrenched in that church, and that church forgets about soul winning, he's won the victory. 
If every time we get together, it's just to get up and say a bunch of gibberish and find out that brother so-and-so is more spiritual or sister so-and-so is more spiritual because she can speak in an unknown tongue and she gets up and gibberish a little bit. Somebody gets up and they say, I can interpret. He's real smart. He's a great guy because he can interpret it. What's happened to the lost? They're not being one to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what the devil, that's his target. The devil's target is churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the tongue movement must of necessity get into churches and try to slow them down because that's the devil's target. These fellows, these freelance people like Pat Boone and the others, I think um, we don't really have to be too concerned about that whole thing. But when you get down into the churches where the devil tries to bring to a preaching, screeching halt, the things of God cause division in churches, cause churches to explode from inside out because of the tongue movement. He has accomplished his aims and churches cease to be preachers preaching the word of God. Then he has accomplished that for which he desires, and that is to destroy another one of the Lord's churches. That's why, personally, I know it's every one of our responsibilities to guard the integrity of this pulpit. But I want to tell you tonight, it's nobody's responsibility like it is mine to guard the pulpit here, not even the deacons. They're not the custodians of this pulpit as the pastor is. And that's why we must teach and preach the Word of God so that this thing, as it sweeps about us, that we'll be able quietly to pick up our Bibles and turn to the Word of God and says, Well, the Savior said it had happened in these last days. Perilous times shall arise. I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. It just means Jesus is coming again. And we say, Even so come, Lord Jesus. That's the way to look at this whole thing from the Word of God. Now, Satan causes confusion everywhere he goes. God does not cause confusion. You get into a service where the tongues are being spoken, there's utter confusion. That's the work of the devil. Christians have the Bible. We do not need signs which the modern tongues say that they have. They do not have, but we do not need these things anyhow. Look over the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 4, as I read here one verse. Matthew 16 and verse 4, and notice what the Bible says. Jesus is speaking here. A wicked and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. That doesn't picture our generation. I don't know what does. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. And we know that this was talking specifically to the Pharisees. I think it can be applied just as well today to us here in America. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 tonight. Notice again what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And notice here as I read this one verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. The Bible says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. The tongue movement is something that people can say, I can really get a hold of, really get involved in. I tell you, we walk by faith and not by sight. Satan's plan, again, is, is to destroy, literally to destroy, local churches. The so-called second blessing or baptism in the Holy Spirit is not offering the gospel to the unsaved, but an emotional experience to the saved. Again, this thing is not to better equip people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How can they when no one knows what anyone is saying? Now a few conclusions, and then I want to read to you something from a man who thought 
he had a tongue experience with, with tongues. There's much material on this, by the way, today, and a lot of materials for it, too, by the way. Now, we see then in this tongue movement, and it has been rightly observed that the tongue movement flourishes in churches where the Word of God is not preached and expounded. That's where it flourishes the most. You know, the tongue movement invaded the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville a few years ago. It most certainly did. A fellow came down there, a fellow began to speak in tongues in Louisville Seminary, and the people said, man, that's a great, wonderful thing. Now, I'm not a bit surprised at it, and I'll tell you why I'm not surprised, because the Southern Baptists authorized the giving out of a new commentary that denies the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I'm not surprised. When you go to denying the Bible, you're likely to fall for anything. You'll fall for the tongue movement. And in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, they deny. They say it's only allegorical. That is, it didn't really happen. There wasn't really a man called Adam and a woman called Eve. I believe there was a man by the name of Adam, A-D-A-M. And his wife was named Eve. Ever how you spell that? And it was right there. They were there. They were real. They were real people. And those, that new commentary that's just coming out now, first volume's out. It caused a big uproar. The conservatives among the Southern Baptists said, hold on a minute, we're not going to have that. The liberals said, you guys shut up, you've had it long enough, we're taking over. They took over. And they put out that commentary, and that commentary actually denied when the, the whole Bible stands or falls on the first 11 chapters of Genesis. That takes you up to the time of Abraham. And if the story wasn't true from Adam to Abraham, then we have no sure word of prophecy, we have nothing. But I'm here tonight to tell you I am confident of this. And I'm thankful to God for a man like Dr. Henry Morris, who's such an authority on their first 11 chapters of Genesis. He can take it apart by the shreds. He can take these fellows apart and show the truth of the Word of God. Now, do not be deceived yourself by the modern tongue movement. You run into someone who says they believe in that. Don't you ridicule them. The things that I've said in the message tonight and today, I've not done this in the matter of ridiculing people. I realize that people are spiritual babes generally that fall for this thing, and they need our help. They need our encouragement. They don't need us to come along and say, hey, you're doing all right, just keep it up. But they need us to come along and say, now, wait a minute, have you considered this verse? Have you considered these verses? Let's look together at Acts chapter 2. Now, you're not going to be able to do that unless you find out what it says yourself and dig into it. That's what we need to do today, that we might be a help and a blessing to folks because these folks are not folks with big horns on them. They're folks who are deceived. Many, many times they are deceived by the devil into thinking that these things are all right. And this book that I have in my hand here, on page 151 of the book called The Modern Tongues Movement by Dramaki, on page uh, 151 in Appendix 3, a man who was a, a missionary to China uh, gave his experiences when he was ready, nearly ready, to receive this gift. And this is what happened. He was a missionary to China, and he was in on one of these meetings, and this is what happened in his own words, taken from a book that he, writ he wrote called Something Unusual, printed December 1963, and on page 27 of that book, which is reprinted in this book, this is what it says. Raymond Frame, a former missionary to China, attended a Chinese Pentecostal service in which there was a definite appeal to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit accompanied by the physical evidence of speaking in tongues. During his attempt to receive this experience, Fram came to the conclusion that the power of Satan, not of God, 
was operating in his life. Here is his complete testimony, and I read it right now. He's in the service now. However, when one of my missionary associates standing beside me suddenly became agitated and began shouting loudly in excellent Chinese, leaping and waving his arms, and obviously under the control of a power quite beyond himself, my resistance weakened. I didn't want to be left out of the blessing that was being that was received. I let my mind become quite blank and begin to yield myself to the external power outside myself that seemed to be pleading for full control of me. Notice, at once a feeling of paralysis began to numb my feet. It soon affected my legs. I knew that before long, I too would be lying helpless on the floor, as were several others in the crowd. At the instant of the numbness reached my knees, I became alarmed. This thing is coming upon me, not from heaven, he says, but from beneath. This is the wrong direction. I thought to myself, without a moment's hesitation, I cried out, May the blood of Christ protect me from this thing. At once it vanished, and I was normal again. A month later, I met that co-worker of mine at another place. He appeared to be a sober and chastised man. You know Ray, he says to Mr. Frown now. You know Ray, that thing that happened to me that night wasn't of God, it was of the devil. That was his friend that let this thing take over. My friend then described the spiritual darkness into which he was plunged following that aesthetic experience. I want to tell you tonight, and I've saved this to last to make this, because if I'd said this this morning fully and explained it like this, I might have hindered some tender hearts and tender minds. But I believe, after examining this thing and looking at the evidence that we have along with the Word of God, I am convinced that the modern-day tongue movement is not of God, but it is a satanic delusion. It's of the devil. You say, oh, my, I know somebody that's in it then you better tell them to get out of it while they still got their senses. The devil today is walking about as a roaring lion, seeketh whom he may devour. And when you yield yourself to these satanic powers and just let that power come over you, no wonder you do things that you wouldn't normally do. No wonder that sometimes people do some things that they're ashamed of after. Why? It is the power of Satan and not of God. I make that statement after concluding, putting all this evidence together, what I have observed, what the Bible says, and I make that statement tonight. We'll have our invitation in just a moment. If you've never been born again of the Holy Spirit, we bid you to repent of your sins and trust Him and be saved even tonight. Let us pray.